Good evening. Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are our guest tonight, we welcome you. If you would, be opening your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapter in the Bible that is in your pew there. It'll be about 853, and we will study along together an important topic this evening. Do keep in mind, as we think about Grandparents' Day being next Sunday, if you've not completed the survey as a grandparent, those blue sheets are out at the Welcome Center, and you can return them there by Wednesday night. That would be very helpful, and we would appreciate that. If you're a grandchild and you've not yet picked up a sheet, the yellow sheets are there that, that ask you five or ten questions, and you can complete that and return there by Wednesday night at the same location, and we would appreciate that much. Be sure... And give your grandparents or your grandchildren an invitation and bring them along. And next Sunday morning, we'll give honor to God's plan, the wonderful plan of the family as it pertains to grandparents and grandchildren. You know, as, as I, I think about Trey and his being here and on staff, many of you may be aware of this, but if not, there probably could not have been a more tougher time in our calendar to arrive as education minister than when he did. Just a, a few weeks before fall quarter begins, which means getting fall focus off the ground. All the adult classes have been on a break for all summer, getting all of them back on the ground for Wednesday night and moving into a brand new facility for all of the adult or for many of the adult classes and all that was involved in, in uh, continuing uh, that process of moving in. And uh, he has worked night and day literally since the time he's been here, and then also they have moved uh, this weekend, and uh, we appreciate them so much and know that, that they have gone through a whole lot, and, and you talk about a man that has given his all since he's been here. Uh, that would almost be an understatement, but it can't be an understatement if you give your all, uh, but he really, really has, and we appreciate them so much and all that, that you do, and what a blessing they are to us. Tonight, we think about a topic that we'll handle in, in a very appropriate fashion for uh, an audience of Sunday night gathering together of the church family. Uh, tonight, we talk about a topic that I don't think I could ever say that I enjoy writing about this, I enjoy speaking about this, but at the same time, as, as a faithful gospel preacher, and I'm saying that's my hopes, that's what I'm trying to be, there are some things that we have to cover uh, number one, because it's so strongly spoken about in the scriptures. And number two, because it's so prevalent in our society. And so I hope tonight that, that as we approach this topic, that it can help all of us in some way. But if this speaks directly to you, I hope tonight that you leave here with a ray of hope to say, you know, I can finally put this behind me. As we think about the topic of pornography, instead of filling our mind with pornography, why not fill our mind and our heart with the life and the love for Christ. What a wonderful exchange that would be and what a burden would be lifted. As we think about this, I'd like to share with you a modern day parable in the sense, not that it's really modern, but compared to the scriptures, it was written much later. And I'd like to share with you a parable, again, emphasized not from the scriptures, but a parable that really becomes an eye opener to this problem. There was a king 
who had a very nice village, but yet he was continually haunted by a dragon that would sweep over the village and he would throw his fire out of his nostrils and burn many of the grass huts and many people would die. Others, as he would fly over, would be lifted off the ground with his talons and others within his mouth, he would take them. And those that died quickly were considered blessed compared to those that it took a long time for their life to be taken. The king would lead many expeditions of his sons and of the noble men and even of, of course, of the knights out to war against this dragon, trying to defeat the pain that was brought into their village because of this horrific dragon. On one particular night, the king's son, one of his sons, was walking in alone through the forest. And he was startled by a low purring noise. He looked over and lying just behind the ferns in the dark forest, he saw the dragon. Its heavy eyelids were opening and closing slowly. Light puffs of smoke was coming out of his nostrils. And just as he started to back away from it, he heard the most calm voice that said, Don't run. I'm not going to hurt you. As a matter of fact, I'm not at all what your father has told you that I am. I'm really someone just looking for a friend. And then he spoke to one of the inner desires that this young man had had for a long time. As curiosity drew the young man one step closer, the dragon then said, Have you ever wanted to fly? Oh, wanted to fly, said the young man. The prince said, I've always dreamed of flying. And without even realizing what he was doing, he'd made his way all the way up to the dragon. As the dragon lifted out its wing for him to climb aboard, he found himself crouched between the ridges on the back of the dragon. And with two sweeps of his wings, he found himself going through the air. He says it was the most exhilarating thing that he ever imagined. It's far better than what he could ever think that it was. And at the end of that ride, he came into that dark forest that night. And as he was... Coming off of such a high, he also became so ashamed because what he enjoyed so much, he knew he couldn't share with anyone. He knew that he had to quietly make his way back into the castle and not let anyone know what he had done. He found himself going back every night to ride that dragon again. And he found himself feeling more and more separated from the people he loved even while he was in their presence. After several months of this, he found that his body had began a process of metamorphosis. And the scales that was on the back of the dragon began to grow on the back of his hands. Of course, he was so ashamed of that, he began to wear gloves all the time. And he told himself, I've got to stop this. This is wrong. I'm going to end up hurting a lot of people that I love. I'm so ashamed of this. I'm never going to do that again. And he put his foot down and that was it. Until four nights later, he's not exactly sure how or even when. He just knows that he was back with the dragon again. And they were flying through the skies again. This went on for a while until one night, the dragon, as he occasionally did, swept over a village and burned many of the huts and he could hear the screams. And every time that happened, the prince would close his eyes because he didn't want to think that he was a part of something that was really hurting people. But that night as he slipped back into the town, because that village had been attacked, all of the people of that village that had survived were running toward the castle. They wanted to find safety inside the walls of the palace area. 
So he began to try to slip his way through the crowd. And he heard the voice of a woman with much confidence saying, That's him! I saw him on the back of the dragon. And another looked and joined in and said, I did too! And someone else echoed the same consent. And the prince turned and ran. He ran as fast as he could, but the king's guards caught him and treated him like a thug. And as they drug him back into the area where the king would have him stand before his royal court, you could hear the crowd yelling out, Banish him! Banish him! Burn him alive! And as he stood, not lifting an eye up to his father, his shame was so great he stared only at the cobblestones. He heard the voice of his father. Son, take off your gloves. And he did. And you could hear the sighs go through the crowd. And the son could hear the footsteps of his father coming toward him. And the crowd was watching every move. The crowd and the son braced for the strong backhand of the father. And the father reached the son and pulled him in close and hugged him. He then straightened him an arm's length distance away. He said, son, do you want to be released from this dragon? And the prince explained, father, you don't know how much I've wanted to be released from this dragon. I've wanted it night after night after night, for months after months after months. Father, I want to be released, but I can't. I've tried. There's no hope for me. And surprisingly, the father turned to the rest of the crowd and he says, is there anybody else here that wants to be released from this dragon? And there was a pause. And a man stepped forward and said, I've borne this burden long enough. It's wearing me out. I'm tired of it. I too have longed to be released from the dragon. King, can you help me too? As he pulled off his gloves. And another one echoed the same. Can you help me, King? And another, and another. And then even the son, the oldest son of the king that had led some of the mightiest warriors against the dragon stepped forward and he too pulled off his gloves and he said, Father, will you help me? And they all gathered themselves in the middle of the king's floor just in front of his throne and he put his arms around them and he said, The truth shall set you free. Tonight, Statistics say that 50% of the men in this auditorium struggle with pornography addiction. There would be many in this auditorium that is tired of the struggle. You're tired of what it feels like. When the high is gone. Statistics say that for every three men that are struggling with that addiction within this room, one woman within this room is also struggling with that addiction.
oftentimes their entrance into it is very different. Domain names have value. For example, business.com earlier this decade sold for seven and a half million dollars. Because of our society, the market value right now for sex.com is $65 million. An estimated 28,258 people every second, 72% men, 28% women view pornography. So that would be equivalent to the town of Mount Juliet in population every second viewing pornography. Comcast, it's estimated several years ago that over $50 million of their profit was based on adult movies. DirecTV is estimated that $500 million, that's more profit than all of their other businesses combined, are made off of adult entertainment. As a matter of fact, Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, Sheraton, Holiday Inn, they all report that 50% of their customers view pornography in their rooms. 70% of their in-room income comes from adult entertainment. One manager described it this way, we have to offer it, our customers demand it. 45% of Christians say that pornography is a serious problem in their house. At pastors.com, which is a site hosted by denominations that reach out and try to serve, quote, pastors or full-time staff members, have found that 54% of the pastors admit that they have viewed pornography in the last year. Focus on the Family has a hotline that pastors can call and says 20% of their incoming calls are related to problems within their families related to pornography. Today's Christian woman, 34% of their female readers say that they have intentionally gone to an internet porn site And one out of every six of their readers say that they are addicted to pornography. The word porn is a Greek word. It means prostitute. Graphy is a Greek word. It means written. You see, long before there were any photographs, pornography existed in the sense of writing about the activities of the sexual immoral. It would be very similar to what many women today call their romance novels. That was literally the beginning of pornography. That is the entrance for many women into pornography that are heavy heavily addicted now, that in chat rooms. Photography wasn't invented until 1839. Eleven years after the invention of photography, the dictionary had a new word added to it. 
And it dealt with pornography. The idea of pornographic pictures being created. That happened in only 11 years. But those that dealt with that new form of pornography would have no way to imagine what would happen 150 years later when individuals can move a cursor over the blue letters, click here. And our children, they're doing it. The average age now in America of a child viewing pornography for the first time is the age 11. We need to be aware of this. We need to be proactive. And we need to be persuasive in helping our children, our wives, our husbands, our grandparents, helping everyone stay aware of this danger. Younger men and women may think, well, if I'm battling it now, it's just a matter of time and it'll get better. It probably would surprise the younger men and women that the greatest consumers in America of pornography are men between the ages of 35 and 49. It's not a young person's dilemma only young person's dilemma. And so as we think about this tremendous problem, we think about first the reality, the, 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 the very fact that our society is saturated with this terrible problem. But then there are no stats that differentiate the church in that. Whether an individual says they're an atheist or if an individual claims Christianity, whether an individual is old or an individual is young, whether an individual is highly educated or not, whether they're wealthy or poor, there is not a certain segment or class or groupings of individuals. And the reality is, sexual immorality and all of the uncleanliness that surrounds it has been around almost as long as man. So we don't discuss something tonight that's new. We simply discuss something tonight that Satan has in his toolbox that's very powerful and very destructive. But thank God it's something that can be overcome. Another Greek word that we need to be made aware of is epithemia. It's the word that is usually translated lust. It is desire that not always has to be negative, but many times in the Scriptures it is used to describe negative, or in other words, sinful desire. And one of the first times that we see it in the New Testament, we have Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In just a minute, we're going to read this, but I'd like for you to notice, in 27, He talks about literally committing the physical act of adultery, and then we skip down to 31 and 32, and He talks about divorce that oftentimes has been fueled because of sexual immorality. And so we have the, the, the two big topics here of adultery and divorce, and it's interesting what the Lord puts in the middle. In other words, it's almost like we could say, what is at the heart of adultery? What is at the heart of so many divorces? And then we read, as we begin in 27, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Notice 28. But, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust, epithemia, to lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
No, that's not the same thing as physical adultery, but it is nevertheless a sin. It's a very serious sin. It's a sin that the Lord teaches in this passage always leads to greater sin in the future. And when I mean greater, I mean greater activities. And so he gives an answer here in 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Isn't it interesting that Jesus here refers, as he speaks to lust, of that having an effect of the way a man looks at a woman? And the same would be true for a woman that's having lust in her heart. Now, now think about this. Here's an individual that they have lust in their heart, and then a person walks by. They may not even be dressed immodestly. But the Lord is teaching that whatever is based in the heart causes the way someone would look. Look at that again. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed. What is the purpose? What is, what is the purpose of why we look? If lust is in the heart, it changes the way we look. If a man has a heart full of lust, He's going to look at a woman and he's going to see anatomy or the emphasis, the environment from the pornographic world that we live in is going to say, see an animal, see a tiger, see a bunny. The world we live in is going to say, see a sport, conquer, win. In other words, don't see a person don't see a, a, a real person made after the image of God. Don't see someone worthy of having a relationship, a friendship with. Imagine you popped in from Mars and you don't know anything about America. And somebody sits down and they explain to you what sports are. And then they also sit down and they explain to you God's, God's beautiful design of sexuality. How are you going to get those two mixed? How are you going to get sports and God's beautiful design of sexuality mixed? You have to be perverted. And when you're perverted and your mindset is from a pornographic idea, it just makes sense that you would have a sports magazine with swimsuit editions. But only if you're perverted. Because you see that very mindset that, they, that we would, in the sports world, put out a swimsuit edition is literally pornographic. Because it's saying that women are sport. They are just objects. Men conquer them. They say, I've won. And they leave them behind as if they are objects. And there are other things that pornography does to the image of a man as he views a woman that are gross. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us that pornography changes the heart so that we literally can have God's image standing beside us. Instead of respecting them as a person, they're only treated by us as objects.
And ladies, if you love to dress in such a way, I'm not saying what the world would call immodest. I'm saying by God's standards, in a way that accents your body so that you get double looks, you get some cat calls when you're walking down the street, you literally are fueling the mindset of pornography because that's what pornography is. Pornography says, let's make women into objects. They're not to be respected. They're not to be appreciated because of their intelligence, because they're made after the image of God. They are to be looked at as an anatomy. And they are to be treated as sport. I would encourage all of our young ladies, don't ever date or have close friends of guys that treat you like an object. If they can't be your friend and respect you because you're made after the image of God, number one, you know that they're struggling with pornography. But number two, you know that you deserve much better than that. What is it that the Lord wants? The Lord wants us to be renewed, to be refreshed. You realize that God wants us to be able to look at older women as if they're our mothers. And He tells us, He wants us to have women that are our peers and and that we look at them as if they're our sisters. The American society, influenced by Satan, has created this over-sexualization. That's not God's design. And to break out of that, we're going to have to break addictions And we're going to have to break out of that mold of even what movies we watch that that no one else in the world would say there's something wrong with that movie. But as Christians, we know it is because it's feeding that mindset. We're going to have to watch the television shows or, or guard against the television shows that we watch. There are certain magazines that even though they're not sold as pornographic magazines, they fuel the mind toward that. And so the Lord here teaches, take that right eye and pluck it out. In other words, change the path. Change the behavior. If your right eye, a right hand offends you, cut it off. Does it continually reach out? Are there things that you need to take out of your life? And, and someone would say, that, that'd be drastic. How do I take that out? Friends, think of the words of Jesus where he tries to give us motivation to say, would you rather just take a limb off or would you rather your whole body be cast into hell? You know, as we think about this changing of the path, I'd like for you to turn back with me to Proverbs, the fifth chapter. As we look at Proverbs, the fifth chapter, by the way, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh chapter is is all tremendous, tremendous guidelines that that uh, all of us ought to make sure that we read occasionally and be aware of. But tonight, look if you will in Proverbs the 5th chapter, in verse 15 through 20, especially 15 through 19, he is describing what would be that beautiful, healthy relationship between a husband and a wife and and literally the high that that produces, how exhilarating that is, and, and being enraptured in the love of your wife. But then in 20, he says... For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? See, he points out the fact, yes, you're going to have a high for a moment, but it's not real. It's not lasting. It's that kind that when it's over, you feel dirty. It's the kind that when it's over, you feel like David in Psalm 51 where he says, wash me with hyssop. You know why David chose the words wash me with hyssop after his sexual sin? 
Because in Leviticus, to be cleansed of leprosy, you had to be washed with hyssop. In other words, he's literally saying, I feel like a spiritual leper here. I feel like I've defiled myself. Lord, please wash me clean. Now notice as he continues here about this path, 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. Why does God care what path we're on? Because it's serious where the path leads. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of sin. He shall die for the lack of instruction and the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. Look with me, if you will, to the seventh chapter, beginning at verse six. He talks about a man, a young man, and notice in seven and seven, he's devoid of understanding. What happens when young men do not understand the dangers of pornography or the dangers of an immoral woman? That's exactly what the fourth, fifth, and sixth and seventh chapter are talking about. This is, we will be on the wrong path if we don't understand the dangers of it. And he goes through all five of the senses and the way this woman in, in, and treated, uh, 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 drew in this, this man to her, to her by using all five of his senses. And then once she had his heart, because keep in mind, the only way you can reach the heart is through those senses. And now notice what it comes down to in 24. Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. You see, we've got to take back our hearts. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending the chambers of death. Why does it matter if I'm on that path? I'm going to lose my soul. Well, no, you don't understand. I'm too strong. And Solomon writes to his son and says, you don't get it. It matters which path. Because if you choose the wrong path, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You're not going to be strong enough to overcome if you're on the wrong path. And David can say, listen to me. I know exactly what Solomon's writing about. And later in life, Solomon could say, listen to me. I know exactly what I'm writing about because both of those men placed their feet on the wrong path. And even though at one time Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, he gave his heart to women that God said never to intermingle with. And David, he looked upon Bathsheba and all he had to do was change his path. Change where he was looking. But instead, he continued to look and act upon what he looked upon. There are many things that we need to discuss in a topic like this. And in this lesson tonight, my plea is real simple. Don't settle for the fact of that's who I am. That's what I struggle with. And it's always going to be that way. It doesn't have to always be that way. I want to read to you a poem that's entitled The Autobiography in Five Short Chapters of an Addict. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. Chapter 2 of The Life of an Addict. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I didn't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. Chapter 4. 
My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. I hope and am prayerful about the fact that over the next few months we can do something that would involve many, many of our men in a study that would urge us no matter what our struggle and no matter how shallow or deep our struggle is, it would urge us to holy living in one of the greatest areas that Satan has had success in the lives of righteous men since man has been created. Tonight, I beg you, I beg you, don't ever be satisfied with letting Satan have his place in your life. The truth will set us free. God, as we study this morning, is that counselor. He has an answer for every problem that we have. But know this. In my pocket is two letters. One is from a woman. She's a deacon's wife. The other is from a man Both of these letters are from Kentucky. Both of these individuals were faithful members of the Lord's church. The man now is in prison. The woman is doing much better. But in their letters, both make the same plea. Once I talked with other people about it, I was able to get better. The secret shame is how Satan keeps control. Confess your faults one to another and pray ye one for another. If you want deliverance, you're going to have to find somebody you can trust that will hold you accountable and confess your faults to them. And you two begin a journey together And you'll probably become best friends in life. And they'll probably save your soul. And that's worth it. Tonight or even this week, if we can help you in any way, we want all of us to grow closer to God. And there's not anybody here perfect. Your struggle may be pornography. The person sitting next to you, they have a struggle also. There's nobody here perfect. But aren't we pretty foolish if we throw up our hands and give up? God did not die on the cross so that we would give up. Let's have hope. And let's not quit. And let's conquer. By the grace of God, let's conquer Satan. You remember when the prodigal son came home and the father ran to him? You remember how the prodigal son had spent all of his money? Harlots. The root word for pornography. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, the father opens his arms and 
He invites you home and He forgives you of all wrong. You can be clean, washed whiter than snow, refreshed. Start again, start clean. Maybe you've become a Christian along the way, you've lost the way and you love the thought of starting over and beginning anew. Friends, I hope all of us here tonight have a greater sympathy, a greater willingness to support, a greater willingness as a congregation to say, if you want to walk with the Lord, we'll help you every way that we can help you walk with the Lord. And if we can do anything tonight to help you walk closer to God, come as we stand, as we sing.